0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Hope at Christmas. Hope is the week of Advent that we're looking at this week, and uh, I love Christmas season. We had Thanksgiving. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. And we ate our Thanksgiving meal at 1 o'clock, which means Christmas season kicked off at 3 p.m., right? Uh, It means we can start listening to Christmas music and uh, doing all that fun stuff. Okay, I need a quick survey. How many people have listened to at least one Christmas song already this year? All right, most people. How many people went shopping on Black Friday to get a Christmas gift for a loved one or Saturday? How many people went shopping to get a Christmas gift for themselves on Black Friday? There you go. I think more hands are maybe on that one. Uh, so it is a great season. I love Christmas. Uh, I love the music, the excitement, the decorations. Uh, uh, Henry, our, five, our four-year-old, got a picture with Santa at Lowe's on Friday. It was a great season, right? It's exciting. And we have this Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And, and we look at some things that are full of joy. We look at the week of joy, and, and Christmas is full of love, and that's a week, and, and Christmas is a season where you can find God's peace, and that's one of the weeks. But Christmas is also a season that we find hope, and that is the focus of this week, is, is hope. And I, I want to step back that this week, uh, we begin the season of Christmas, and, and I acknowledge that for some people, this isn't the best season. For some people, this is a hard season. And we're going to look at the love and the joy and and the peace, those things to come, and those exciting emotions and feelings, but but this week we look at hope, because for some of them, that's the only thing we can cling on to this season. I realize that for some, Christmas is a reminder of a lost loved one. For some, Christmas is a time where it's a reminder of a broken relationship, that this isn't how we planned for this to have been, that we're fighting over who gets the kids When? For some, Christmas is a reminder of our tight checkbook and this pressure of finances. For some, it's a pressure of balancing work and home, and and how are you going to be able to work that out? And for some, this is not a joyful or peaceful or sometimes even loving season. It's a season that's hard, but it's a season that we need hope. And I wonder if that's maybe why hope is the first candle in the traditional Advent Is because we need to be able to look at the hope that is found in Jesus. The hope that's found in God with us, Emmanuel, coming to earth. And that hope in the midst of when this might be a struggling season for some of you, or or at least for a co-worker or a loved one you know or a fellow student. This is a message that, that they need this Christmas, is a message of hope. And so we're going to dive into that, and if you have your Bibles, we're, we're going to go into this idea of Christmas at maybe a different spot than you would normally look. We're going back 700 years to the prophet Isaiah. 700 years B.C., he was a prophet that spanned over four of the kings over Judea, and he was a prophet that God would speak to him, and then he would speak. He would speak to the king. He would speak to the common man. He would speak what God had a message for him, and that's where we're going to dive into this week as we look at this hope is Isaiah chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, open it to Isaiah 7. Bring it up on your app. We'll also have it up on the screen, and that's where we kind of go into this idea of hope, and this, when I talk about hope, this isn't just like this hope that you don't have certainty of, right? There's, the, there's a hope that we often say, well, I hope that happens. I hope in next year, in 2020, I lose weight, right? That's a pretty simple hope, but with the opening of Dunkin' Donuts at Pinnacle, that hope's probably not going to happen, right? But that's the kind of, there's that kind of hope that I hope this happens, but there's no certainty it is. But then there's the hope that we find when someone else is in charge, there's the hope that you know that someone that will follow through and make sure that this will happen. And it's a hope of looking forward to a certainty. And God is in charge of this. And so this hope that we're going to find that Isaiah speaks to the people of Israel, this is a hope that they can bank on because God is in charge of the certainty. This is a hope that you and I can count on because God is in charge of this. And so this is a different kind of hope, a hope that we, can re- that we can know will happen, that we have certainty will happen. And so this is the kind of hope that the people of Israel needed, the kind of hope that you and I need, the kind of hope that they needed in chapter 7. King Ahaz is the king over Judea, and all around him is pressure. He has been warring with area countries, with Ephraim and, and Syria, and the pressure is coming down. Everyone wants his land. Everyone wants to take over this small little country. And so he's been fighting, and they've been trying to take Jerusalem, and he's been able to ward them off, but it's not looking well. It seems like he's got the pressure of protecting his, his people. He's got the pressure of protecting his own life. They're, they're obviously going to take out the king when they wipe out the nation. And everywhere he looks, all around his little country, there's pressure. And I share this story because I think it's one that many people can relate to today. That you might be feeling that everywhere I look, there's pressure. At work, there's pressure. At home, there's stress. As I look at my finance book, there, there it's just not going to work. There's pressure there. As I deal with the kids, as I deal with school, as I look at our family, as I look at this relationship, everywhere you look, it just seems like it's all crashing down on you. And that's where King Ahaz finds himself on chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah has been told by God to go today to deliver a message. So we dive into this chapter, verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram and Pichah, son of Remalak, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, the house of David was told, "Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so that the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the winds. Up to this point, the countries have tried to, to take on Jerusalem individually, but now they've teamed up. And he knows he can't defend himself against two countries, the two powerful forces coming down from their own angles. There's no way. So he's scared. There's no way that with all the pressure going on, that with all the things that are happening in his life, all the things happening in our life, I just don't feel like we're going to make it. We don't know where to turn and can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Jezeb, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the launderer's field. So God tells Isaiah to take his son. His son's name means a remnant will remain. So even in that, in that little bit, there's a message of hope. That we're going to make it. A remnant will remain. And so Israel, Isaiah is told to take his son and they go and they meet the king at the end of the aqueduct. It says, say, God says, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remlah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remlah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tebel keen over it. I got to think King Nehaz is already dealing with the stress of all these countries, and here comes the prophet. He knows he's a messenger of God, and he thinks, wow, maybe there's some good news coming here, right? And so he looks forward to Isaiah speaking. He says, Isaiah, what do you have to tell me? What does God have to tell? And Isaiah shares, hey, the neighboring countries, the ones you're worried about, yeah, they have a plot to take you out and replace you with their son. That wouldn't have exactly been very encouraging, Right? I've been like, great, my day just got worse. Like it wasn't already bad enough, now I have a prophet of God telling me there's a plan to take me out and replace me. This would have been his view when he heard that. I believe it would have been his view because all he would see is the problem that's before him. I think that because that's often my view, right? That's often your view, I think. That we see the problem before us and we see no way out. There's just one more thing, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, I can't handle the pressure anymore, and here this comes. But if you look at that message from God, look at it from God's view. He says these two kings are smoldering stubs of firewood. It means that their flame has extinguished. The ferociousness of their fire is over, and now they're just smoldering, getting ready to go out completely. God's view that while, while King Ahaz sees these two, he sees them as they're on their way out. And in fact, they are. This prophecy comes true that within two years, both of those kings die. Within two years, those two leaders of those countries are dead. And Ahaz is safe. God's view is often different than ours. What we see is just one more thing that we can't take. God sees that he has it. And he knows what's to come. And so the passage continues, verse 7 says, Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says it will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only risen. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. So within 65 years, and this happens, and I could give you the dates, but within 65 years, Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, is gone. The people are exiled and is wiped out. And so that comes true. The, the two kings die within two years. That comes true. But Isaiah is continuing. It says, The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramallah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God is saying, We got this. I know what's in charge. I know what's going to happen, and that it's going to be wiped out within 65 years. These two are just smoldering pieces of firewood. But you have to have faith. You have to have faith that I got this. You have to be strong in following me. King Ahaz is leading a people of God, and he needs to turn to God first and foremost. But he hasn't. Already, King Ahaz has gone and made a deal, a pact with Assyria to try to find protection. Instead of turning to God, he turned to his own devices. Does that sound familiar too? Right in the midst of, in the midst of pressure, the people of God are, are facing exile. Exile where they're sent out, where things just keep, seem to be getting worse, where every day it's worse the next day. This is what they're facing, and, and for some people, this is what you're facing right now we could turn to God, or sometimes we turn elsewhere. And God is saying, you have to have faith. I got this. You have to hold on to the hope. So verse 10, it continues, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord, your God, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So he's reaching out to him, and he says, trust me. I got this. Why don't you ask for a sign? I'll prove it to you that this is going to happen. I'll prove it to you that you're going to be safe. You don't need to turn to Assyria. You don't need to turn to the things outside of God. We don't need to turn to our other devices and our other, uh, our other means to find comfort and strength. Turn to God. Ask for a sign. And, but Ahaz says, I will not ask for a sign. I would not put the Lord to the test. He has this fake pious belief and, uh, and God can see right through that because he says he can't ask for a sign because he's already made a pact with Assyria. He's already shown that his faith isn't in God. And I love this part because even if King Ahaz has turned away, God is still bringing him back, encouraging him, come put your faith in me. God knew that he's already made a pact with a, a Assyria. But he says, turn your faith to me. And it says, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. So he's not just talking to the king anymore. He's talking to the people of God. It is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is a verse you probably have heard many times. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. The two smoldering pieces of wood die out within two years. The prophecy that Ephraim will be collapsed in 65 years, that comes true as well. And now there's a prophecy of God with us. That the virgin would give birth. And that happens 700 years later. At the nativity scene. We see it in Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. I think his name is faithful and true as he's speaking to Kinahaz that God will help. God will send his son. And he makes this prediction, and it comes true seven years, 100 years later. And true, Kinahaz is, is long gone by then. But for the people, this is why the, that prediction changes from not just speaking to Kinahaz anymore, but to the people of God Jesus would come, the Messiah would come. We have hope. He was telling the people of Israel in Isaiah's time have hope in the Messiah. There's one that'll come and save you. There's light in the darkness. We on the other side of the birth of Jesus Christ have hope. And like I said, it's in the certainty of the one who's providing this prediction is God. And there's certainty that God took care of it and he delivered his Messiah. And so we have hope. And so if you're familiar with this tradition, if you grew up in church or or maybe at your home, you've had an Advent wreath. And then there's four weeks to Advent as the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve. And that first week is hope. And so this morning, we light the first candle of Advent, the candle reminding us of hope. Hope in a Savior that came and died for us. Hope in the one... That would come and free us from our sins. That would come and provide us with eternity with him. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Some of you might feel like you're in that darkness. Like I said, Christmas is a lot of joy. It's great to to hear the music and see people smiling, but... For some, it's a time of darkness, and I want to remind you of the hope that is in this season. That if you're struggling with the loss of a loved one or with the pressures of the season, hold on to the hope that is Jesus Christ, because that is the whole message of this, this season. That there is hope in a Savior that came and died for our sins. We come to this time of Christmas, and and the last year, a reporter called and asked, he was writing this article for the Herald Courier, and he asked me, which is more important, Christmas or Easter? And, you know, it's one of those, like, there's not really one that's, that's more important. And, and, and I shared with him, in my view, both are equally important. Because if it wasn't for Christmas, God with us, we wouldn't have had a Savior that came down, that had experienced uh, our world and had been sinless that had been able to walk and, and not fall for the temptations that we've fallen for. But on the other hand, if we didn't have Easter, if we didn't have his death on the cross and his resurrection, then what's the point of him coming? So we need both Christmas and Easter. We need the hope at Christmas and the hope that is the resurrection. And so as we light the Advent candle at Christmas, I can't think of a better time to partake in communion. And we're going to transition to time of communion because there's hope in both. There's hope in Jesus coming, and there's hope in his resurrection. There's hope that we will be able to, that we'll be able to know our eternity is saved. Our salvation is secure because of his death on the cross. If you've placed your faith in him, if you've given your life over to him, if you've been baptized, if you've done these things, we have certainty of this hope. That we have eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ because he came down as Emmanuel, God with us. There's so one more passage from Isaiah, 700 years before the birth, 700 years before the cross. and it says, But he was pierced with our, for our transgressions, he was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has torn, turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's Isaiah 53 it sums up the hope of the resurrection as well. And so this t- today, I don't know if maybe you feel like you're in that darkness. I hope you see the light. Maybe a loved one of yours or a fellow student or co-worker is in that exile that place where it just seems to be getting worse and worse, and they could use the reminder that there is hope of eternity with God because of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I just want to pray over you as, as you partake in communion, that you will find hope in this message of Christmas and hope in this message of Easter.